This is Podcast Episode 49, Dark is Eternal, on Sunday, May 26th, 2019, and now given to the darkness, being morticians and stuff. This episode of Podcast is hosted by, and don't quote me on this, Brandon Johnson, Brian Mitchell, and Ryan Rampersad. This episode has show notes at thenexus.tv slash PK49. Can you see the light now? Hi, everybody. Hey. Hello. How's it going? It's going well. It's going well. Jinx, hey, there's a motorcycle going by. Sorry if you hear that. See, I, you can't hear motorcycles on my feed because I am in a windowless room. Good. Good good sound quality there. That was, yeah, that was that was darker than I anticipated it being. But in retrospect, it was probably actually exactly Are you actually in prison? No. Like, are you, do you need help? <laughs> Oh man, there's a yeah, no, no. It's just great because now I'm isolated from my AC, which is important. Uh, yeah, we all we all like you for that. Hope you don't don't get too toasty. Yeah, there's no there's no isolating me from my MacBook fan. Yeah, exactly. It's all good. Well, we have some uh, stuff to talk about this episode. Um, I think most recently we can do something we all attended this week, which was Open Source North. Yeah, so good. Is this the first time that all three of us have gone to Open Source North, or did we all go to Open Source North last year too? I did not. Okay. Yes, so I think this is the first for all three. Because, Bre- uh, Ryan, you went two years ago, right? I went two years ago, and I think Brandon couldn't go, and I don't think you went either. Yeah, last year was my first year. This is my second. And, Brandon, when have you gone? Uh, I just went last year and this year, and the hilarious thing is I was supposed to go two years ago, but um, uh, at JSMN, we got turned around as to whether we were tabling at Open Source North or Minibar. So I showed up at Minibar, and other folks showed up at Open Source North, and it turns out we had tables at neither. Um, it was very entertaining. That is funny. Yep, it was fun. But this this year it all worked out, and we even raffled off some fun t-shirts, so that was cool. Yeah. Yeah, so Brandon and I were tabling for JavaScript Minnesota, but Brandon was also like prepping for a talk all day and ryan was the the actual attendee just attending yep and seeing all the cool talks exactly uh so i thought uh so one of the things i like about open source north is that it's local uh it's just it's literally down the street from either office that i typically work at which is really nice Nice. uh and then in addition to that it's it's like broadly topicked so there's front end there's back end there's devops there's data there's there's and and there's even like um like leadership and management tracks like there's so many different talks you can go to and i i really like that um i've gone to like midwest js which is all just about uh, i don't know midwest i don't even know if it's about js at this point um (laughs) the logo is literally a cow so maybe (laughs) so i i I like uh midwest js but i like open source north much more because it's so broad i i liked your i liked your post ryan about um the the conference you put on on a github gist and i'll link that in the show notes um that it's a good like generalist conference for um first time uh, conference attendees or something um i don't know if you actually put that in your post but you said that at one point and I i've said that it. over the years and I, th- I still think that's true it's a small smaller conference it's actually quite inexpensive to attend 200 dollars, i think for i mean that was the early bird price but there's no late bird price now because it's sold sold out instantly the early bird was by t- 
time available, right? Not by tickets sold. I believe so. Yes. Yeah. So every bir- every ticket was early bird. Yeah. And you get like some breakfast and some coffee, a lunch, and pizza slash happy hour. So yeah. There's a lot of food that comes with it. Um, yeah, it was like 700 some people. Yeah. So I had a great time just talking with uh, attendees and people that I've seen around over the last couple of years. Yep. There are a bunch of sponsor booths, so you could pick up some some goodies or trinkets if that's your thing. Yeah. Did did you did you both play bingo? I did. Did not win, unfortunately. I didn't win either. I did not play bingo. I tried last year. Um and this year, I was just like, I'm going to be spending literally the first half of the conference agonizing over my talk. <laughs> and so it's probably best to just not. Um, but uh, I think like the way that OSN does sponsorship and kind of community group stuff is re- is really kind of a um, uh, unique among conferences, I feel like. I've gone mm-hmm. to a lot of other conferences that do it in different ways. Um, where the sponsors can have this kind of like, uh, you know, uh, awkward or kind of unpleasant presence, but really like the sponsors and the meetups, I, th- I think maybe like the core thing that they do differently is like sponsors and meetups are kind of given equal footing and, yep. um, you know, with that bingo card, basically folks go around and meet everybody, all the sponsors, all the meetups. And that's, that's how you, that's how you do it. So there's kind of this shared sort of thing where it's like, yeah, if you're just here for the sticker, that's fine. Nobody's going to like intercept you and sales pitch. Yeah, really. Right. Well. But if, but oftentimes you fix, like you, you meet up with folks and, um, and they actually do want to hear about what, what it is this group is or the sponsor does or stuff like that. And, um, uh, I think it's a really great way to make that interaction kind of low friction and like, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't really necessarily mean anything if you just walk up to a table. Um, but, but some, you can also get some great conversations out of that. And that's really like something that OSN does differently than any other conference I would say in town or elsewhere. Mm-hmm. For sure. And it's, it's uh, in some ways OSN is kind of like a, mini recruiting event for those sponsors and so they don't feel like they have to go too far out of their way like they know you're here for the conference but they get to use it for their purpose too um yeah what i also did was talk to those a lot of a lot of the sponsors had uh engineers with them in some capacity either if they were just hanging out by the table between talks or you know just over lunch and so i actually talked with some of the engineers just about like you know what they were working on and what their platforms are like and I kind of like that. It's kind of nice to actually be able to talk to somebody more than just a recruiter. Totally. Yeah. Also, just like the folks who run Open Source North are just like the kindest, most like, uh, you know, kind of with it uh, conference organizers I've encountered in town here. So it's, it's good stuff. Um, so, so, Brandon, you did a talk on location-based AR. And yeah. uh, I, I did attend that, and I thought it was a pretty good one. Awesome. Yeah, thanks. No, it was, it was wild. I probably practiced it six or eight times and uh, rewrote it probably four or five times and made some fun little graphics, and the graphics crashed Keynote, so I re-exported <laughs> them in the hour before my talk. So that was nice. fun. Nice. Uh, what, what I, I made a really fun – I thought it was really funny. Um, I don't know. So, so the premise of your talk was how do we put a digital sign – above a landmark like it's a simple enough goal simple enough app to build totally great and uh in one of your slides it was just a blue box with some white text it me i believe it was um and then i tweeted is that a flutter app 
<laughs> oh man, I can't believe I didn't see that because that is that is a great joke. That's it's, awesome. It's like Google Blue. Yeah, it was. <laughs> sure I thought enough. it was pretty funny. Uh, I did that annotate in the tweet that I am totally joking, but uh, maybe not. No, I get you. I get you. And I have been working with Flutter recently, so I, uh, I get you there. But yeah. there's, there's more than enough uh, words from that for for the next pod kit we're all have actually dug in about a little more yes yes exactly uh so did you actually get to see any other talks uh yeah i saw todd gardner's uh in the first slot uh about testing uh cool. like lessons from testing that you learn from failed projects i think is a, a really like butchered version of that title um, but basically Todd walked us through five projects that he's worked on and things he learned about how to test software from each of them. And I thought it was really great because a lot of the, you know, a lot of the software testing talks that I attend are all like very dogmatic mm-hmm. and Todd is not, um, and decidedly not. And, you know, like some of the core lessons were things like, uh, you know, code coverage is a perverse incentive it's a, it's a, it's a bad metric that, that causes, you know, folks to optimize for, um, for meeting the metric rather than actually running quality tests. Um, you know, uh, you need to use the kind of like the testing pyramid is kind of out of date or not really applicable to most folks because I, and I really resonated, this really resonated with me because, um, in consulting and in advertising, like a lot of times unit tests aren't the most useful way to validate that your application does what you want it to do. Oftentimes really the, you know, you, you'll still need unit tests, but you know, hundred percent code coverage and unit tests is, isn't going to help you in the same way that integration tests help you make sure that um, the crucial highest risk parts of the app are working. Um, and, you know, then beyond that Todd was talking about things like, um, you know, you can test all you want, but if you skipped user testing, if you if you if you didn't know whether or not the the product you were making actually satisfied a a need or a, a problem for users, um, then all of your work was for naught. And so, um, I don't know that that's that sort of talk is always really interesting to me, even if it's you know, um, it's stuff that maybe I have heard before from Todd personally or from other, from other engineers personally. Right. Um, it's always good. I feel like, especially in that setting, a very like enterprisey conference setting, it's always really great to, um, to see somebody up there, especially somebody like Todd who's, who's, um, you know, kind of uh, been a mentor to me and like, uh, uh, kind of a pillar of the community. Right. Um, it's, it's awesome to have that kind of attitude up there on stage, I feel like. For sure. Not just TDD all the things. I haven't ever really done TDD. Well, right. Anyway, um, yeah, OSN is great. I think I – so I tabled for two of the talks yeah. during two of them, and I went to four. And of those, two of them were really good. The other two were – Poor choices on my part of there are things that I already kind of had some familiar familiarity and understanding of, uh-huh. and so I didn't really learn very much. So it, I guess, it reaffirmed some things that I knew, but um, I probably could have gone to some better talks. But that's on me. 
and that's something I need to improve as I keep going to conferences. <laughs> yeah, I will. Uh, I, I will say there, Brian. I have the same issue. So in the in the first slot of OSN, I went to the from SharePoint to Gatsby talk, thinking, "Oh my gosh, this guy is going to talk about how he conned his business into using Gatsby instead of using SharePoint." Oh my gosh, this is going to be amazing! And it turns right, yeah, out that sounds awesome. Yeah, I know, right? And it turns out that's not what it was at all. It was not anything about SharePoint. SharePoint was just there for a historical reference of, yeah, everybody uses SharePoint for their static website because it's easy, not because they should. Oh, that's not what I wanted to hear. Thanks for playing though. Yeah. Yeah, and so the titles of some of the talks might be a little bit a little bit misleading. There's no way um, to know until you get there, kind of, in some of those situations. Oh, yeah, and I will freely admit mine was kind of like that, too. My, almost everything that I thought was salient about what I was talking about had very little to do with React Native, <laughs> right? Um, I mean, I could have talked for hours and hours about it, but when I uh, converted my talk down to a 25-minute... Um, it's like, well, I guess all the React Native stuff has to be cut, right? I mean, <laughs> you did say this was all in the premise of React Native, which is enough for me. All right. Nah, I don't know. I, th- I think if I give it, if I gave a longer talk, it would probably have more React Native stuff in it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I think one of the other things too is the CFP process for OSN is kind of super, super long, and I think that's a good thing. But like a lot, a lot of folks, I think probably submitted their abstracts in like December or January, right? And then promptly, you know, did next to no work on it until March or April, right? Um, yeah, May first. Yeah, ex- exactly, right? And it's like, well, when that when that happens, you're gonna f- discover a lot about your abstract that maybe no longer applies because I don't know, stuff happens. Yeah, I saw there was one abstract about GitHub um, saying GitHub Actions currently in beta or alpha or like yeah. currently announced, and it's been out for a couple of months now. But yeah, you know, it's how it goes. Yeah, it is how it goes. <laughs> All right, um, should we talk about our next topic? Yes. Yeah, tell us about TypeScript. All right. Well, you know, I'm a fan of TypeScript, and so I'm just trying to keep it coming up in in our episodes here. So. The TypeScript 3.5 release candidate is out. Um, adds a few new improvements, such as speed improvements. Um, they are speeding up type checking. Um, it really ben- or is impactful if you use styled components, which I do at my work. And um, I think they shipped something in TypeScript 3.4 that added incremental compile stuff. And mm. um, it actually reduce performance quite a lot for oops components so they've fixed that which is awesome um there's an emit helper type which is something that i've defined it's like a one-line thing it's um uh emit is basically a type that takes two generics and um it is combining pick and exclude so you can basically say emit property from uh, another interface or another type and uh-huh. so it's like take everything but skip this one so it's super it's like a one-liner helper but everyone had been like copying it and putting it in their generic or in their global app types and but uh now it's included in typescript itself i just i just want to i just want to pause you there for a moment uh i don't know how many of you've worked with java or a uh non-javascript language 
I don't know. When I see that, when I see the type of mitt, T extends, blah, 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 blah. It's like, whoa, this is going back to what we all hated about all those things we hated. But on the other hand, it's not even as if Java could have ever done this. This is incredible. Right. Like, this is just a, a, a monumental achievement for type systems. And the fact that it's all fake, like it is totally just grafted on into a language. It's barely a real language. It's just amazing. I love TypeScript. It's so cool. I know. That's great. Um, yeah. And so it's it's handy. You know, it's not like it, traditional, like object oriented and, you know, interface, you know, extends that kind of stuff. Yes. Um, emitting something from an extension, you know, if you extend another type or another interface and then emit stuff, is it really extending it? And yes, I guess if you override it, overload it, yeah, to it's, be something else. It's it's, but. it's just it's very difficult to think in the normal, uh, statically minded mindset when you're thinking about. Um, so I, I sort of see these things as dynamic structs, and for example, Java does not have a struct, and it doesn't certainly doesn't have gen- dynamic structs. Right. So this this enables that kind of thinking. Yeah, um, and I think. Just to provide an example of where I've used emit, um, in my app at work, we have, um, you know, routes that need to be secured due to various conditions. And so I built like a secured route that wraps around the React Router route component. Mm-hmm. And so I have secured route, um, the props for that extend the React Router route props, but I omit um, render and children. And I think I have it only render through the component, which then I under the hood render as a render prop to the route component with some other stuff. Great. But it it the types are all the same, and I'm just like, you know, I I could use pick and pick off like four or five props from it, but I'll just use emit and skip the one or two that I don't care about. Right. And it works very well. Um, there's some improvements to uh, union type checking. Um, I haven't looked tons into it, but it seems a little more strict in terms of uh, unioning two types together. Um, I don't know, UMD global access. I'm not going to use that ever. <laughs> Same spaces, don't use that. Um, what else do we have? Higher order type inference from generic constructors. Cool. I don't know if I'll use that, but I don't know. There's those kind of the omit and the speed changes. Oh, uh, breaking change to generic type parameters are implicitly constrained to unknown. So if you use generics, you might have some different experiences about where or what your types are initialized to. Huh. I don't know. Maybe. I haven't looked too much into it. We'll see. I haven't actually installed TypeScript 3.5 release candidate in, to any app, but... I am excited to once it comes out. Nice. That's about all I got. Well, there's more for you, Brian. Tell me about this website. Ah, yes. This is uh, a a website that I run called brianm.me, where you can find stuff that I write about and find me on the internet and things like that. The use Um, of emoji on this website is just incredible. Yeah, gotta have your emoji. Um, yeah, so it's just my personal website runs on Jekyll. Um, a couple weeks ago, I spent like an entire weekend. I put like 12 to 18 hours into this. It was absurd, but 
it now listens to the prefers theme media query. Is that what it's called, actually? Let me look this I up. Think so. Is there a way to toggle it without that? If you open it in Safari, in the DevTools, there's the um, there's a button you can click which toggles that media query. So the answer was no, from what I heard. Um, also, if you're on macOS and you have an app like Night Owl, is that what it's called? I think. So That's how I also what, what I've heard is also no. Um, yeah, it's kind of a... Um, the the media queries prefers color theme, by the way. Um, yeah, it's it's a niche feature that will just kind of appear and make your site look great in the environment that the user has kind of set up for themselves. So if it doesn't support it, it looks like a white website like everything else. Uh-huh. If your computer does support it, which is right now Safari, l- latest Firefox, and Chrome, Canary, maybe even beta at this point. I'm not sure. So it's coming out very soon here across all the browsers, if not already. Um, and so, you know, if your computer's set to night theme or dark theme, then um, the website will just look how it how you would expect it to. And so I thought about trying to build in a toggle or something, but that sounded like too much work. Mm. And then how do you deal with when it is set, but your OS is set to something else? And like, when do you eventually reset it or... I don't know. So I'm just like, I'm just not going to deal with it. And <laughs> I see that be because all of the poor Windows users are going to have to stare at this white website now. But Windows has a dark theme. Yeah, but and nobody knows. I think knows. it's going to toggle uh, that media query, too. And nobody knows how to use it on Windows. Well, whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's what I always say to Windows users. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm, I built it through – so there's a – you know, CSS media query, you can do at media and then prefers color theme, light or dark or, you know, default to, I think I, I default to light. So I chose to not quite do it through CSS at all, but I have a, let me pull up the file here, but it's a JavaScript file that looks for the class name themable on any, any element. And then it goes through and... Um, adds the class UK light or removes the class UK or uh, UK dark, which is from the UI kit uh, CSS library that I use on my website. Nice. So it's basically swapping all of it and using the built-in kind of present dark theme support in there. Um, I also have a few extra classes that, um, um, or a few overrides in my CSS that add better support with that UK light. So I, I set something as themable through the themable class, and then it's actually themed with the UK light, UK dark, which is actually opposite. So if I put UK light on HTML, it sets it up for a dark theme because it's telling the text to render as light. Oh, it's kind man. Of set up. That's wild. So it's, I mean, it's kind of like thrown together. It's a weird a weird mess of things and this javascript isn't amazing or by any means but and it actually will um straight up error on ie11 but whatever because i use const but ie11 doesn't support it anyway so you know whatever yeah if you're using ie11 that's your own punishment yeah i just feel a little bad about doing i don't know maybe i shouldn't i uh, feel like this is gross stuff because i'm doing like app-wide javascript not using react but it's probably totally fine for this it's great this is exactly what it's for uh for fun while you were talking about that i actually I actually did open ie 11 <laughs> how does how does it work uh, how does it look uh, 
I, I posted a picture in Slack for you. Uh, yeah, because I've never. Your oh, actually, is, your image is a little wide. That's it. I actually did try this in IE11, and yeah, I don't know why, but the image is is uh, stretched wider than it is tall. And I was trying to figure that out, and I was like, you know, eh, this makes cares? no sense to me. It doesn't is matter. It like a min height, max height, min width, min width, min height sort of thing, something like that. Something like that, and then you know, with height auto or something. Oh, I don't know. yeah, whatever. It looks fine every other place in the in the app, as far as I can tell. Uh, yeah, I mean, can they even get to BrianM.me without without uh, you know with with Google or something? Won't Google give them a notification like, "Hey, get the hell off IE"? <laughs> uh, no. If they don't, they should. But I I don't. I think the Google still supports IE11. There, there was a story about that once. Aww. <sighs> So it works mostly well in all browsers, except a little weird in IE11. Yeah, but yeah, so... that's that's what I ended up doing. Um, I decided to support both the media query. So I'm using window.matchmedia, yep. which is supported, I think, in IE10 and above, surprisingly, maybe 11. Oh, it is surprising. And then, so earlier versions of that used media query, or it returns a media query list. And that has add a, add listener and remove listener on it. Um, and then later they actually had that just extend the event object, which is add event listener. Uh-huh. Um, but a lot of browsers don't include that yet, or it's relatively new. So I just check for add event listener and use that if it's there. That's that's my experience with the dark and light theme. Um, I would like to eventually use CSS variables, but that is not going to happen when I'm using a... CSS framework that doesn't right. really use it. So, right. so I have, uh, I, I, I know you did this a couple of weeks ago, I think that's when it was. And uh, I, I like the idea of it. So I've been working on my own site and uh, converting it to styled component. Yeah, yeah. And so I'll probably end up doing something similar with uh, the prefers theme thing. Because Style Components has the concept of like an app theme. Yes, it does. So you can kind of inject that all the way through. Yep, and it will be very simple to do that once I get it all converted over. I'm also taking the time to convert it from, oh my gosh, these awful class components to just normal functional components. Like, I don't know how people lived in Music the whole thing. my ears. <laughs> right? That's great. Yeah. Is this your RyanRampersad.com site? Yes. Yes, it is. Nice. I look forward to it. Yep. It'll look exactly the same. It'll just be less CSS-y. But if you're doing um, theme support, then you're going to add a light theme to your site. Oh, no. I'm just going to change. <laughs> dark is dark is internal. Uh, <laughs> something will change, but not, not the background. Okay. <laughs> just going to display a message saying, hi, light theme users. I'm ignoring you. <laughs> Can you see the light now? <laughs> Exactly. Yep. Well, hey, uh, I got some fun news this week. Uh, it sounds like Apple uh, is releasing a slightly updated MacBook Pro. I presume, presumably, this would be called like the early 2019 MacBook Pros. Uh, you get the new ninth generation Intel processors that are up to eight cores. And uh, most entertainingly, they claim to have fixed the keyboard issues again. Again. Um, but not really, yeah. So like, uh, let's see. Uh, so the the first iteration back in twenty sixteen, right? I think that was right. Yep. In twenty in twenty sixteen, they introduced that new butterfly keyboard mechanism, uh, which 
you know, uh, at the company I worked at at the time, uh, everyone who got one, their keyboards were all gunked up and unusable uh, within like six months and had to have keys replaced and key entire keyboards replaced, stuff like that. Even if they didn't like, you know, pour a soda in their keyboard, it was just like regular old through regular old use. Uh, and then in 2017, they claimed to fix it by adding some like spacers or something like that uh, underneath the keys. Um, and that clearly didn't work uh, because then in 2018, they claimed to isolate the keys a little bit better to protect them from dust, which is what the iteration I have. With a membrane. Uh, with a membrane. That was it. With membranes. It, and that, I would say, that changes how it feels and how it sounds when you type as well. Yep. I prefer that over the 2017 model, which is what I have at work. Yep. I'm also Definitely. using a, a 17 at work, and uh, I have tried the new 18 models, and, well, they're not new anymore, uh, and they do sound all, quite quite a bit quieter to me as well. Yeah. And I, I've got that 2018 as well, and it's it's just fine. I'm I'm cool with it. But in 2019, they claim to have changed a couple of materials. As far as I've read, it doesn't sound like there's any mechanical difference. But they've just tried to maybe isolate it a little better with that. Um, and it, the internet is not convinced, <laughs> to say the least. So what do you guys to heard say, about these things? To, to say the least, I am also not convinced. Um yeah, we have a, a bunch of interns starting at work right now um, for both places I work at. And, um, you know, they're going to be getting computers, and I assume they're going to be getting new MacBook Pros, most likely. Um, and, like, that's fine. Like, you're going to need a computer, so what are you going to get? A MacBook Pro or, or not? Well, of course you right. are. But it's still a bummer that we still have to pay $3,000 for a computer that could have it, any individual key of 100 keys just flake out and then what is the solution not to just replace the key but to literally rip off the top of the computer and then replace it right and by top you mean pull everything out because it's really the bottom when you open the computer up the top but from the bottom yes exactly right. um i fixed it had a teardown and they showed some of the differences in components um i think they have a little video too yeah it's as brendan said it's the same mechanic mechanics but different uh materials um, i just i love when you open up one of these computers it looks like an owl under an angry owl i know the two fans and the, <laughs> so the, the, the eyebrow in the middle yeah that's the, that's the that's the um hardware modification protection feature it's supposed <laughs> to elicit like a, a biological fear response from anyone uh daring enough to to open to remove the back panel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I'll just read some of what iFixit said. They said, so what changed this year? First, the transparent switch cover material. The cover on the 2018 model is semi-opaque, somewhat tacky, and feels like silicone. The new model is clear and smooth to the touch. So that way, you can see the dirt under it better. Exactly. <laughs> so you can identify which key is broken. Yes. Um, they used, uh, they analyzed the materials using a Fourier transform infrared spectrox spectroscopy so they shined infrared infrared light at the stuff and figured out what materials it was what else changed they think the metal dome switch may have um the dome um is like a really tiny jam lid or snapple cap kind of you press it down and it springs back up huh. um it looks like that changed it's just aluminum foil now <laughs> just regular old yep. reynolds wrap yep Brakes on the first key press. Oh, man. 
Um, so I don't know. That material is different, at least. So that's kind of neat, neat to hear about. I think. Don't quote me on this, um, though. I'm saying in a podcast, so who knows what's <laughs> going on anyway. Um, I thought I saw on Twitter that they included these new models for the keyboard replacement program, and they just blanketly said four years from manufacturer you're covered or something like that for out of warranty replacement maybe that's not right but i know at least the 2018 models were added to the replacement program so i added this video from uh dave 2d's youtube channel uh there's some there's a funny like intro and a funny outro but in the core of the content the non-funny actually serious mini review part um, he actually mentions that the 18 models and the 19 models were just added to that repair plan. Uh, so even the new ones that were just produced, these 2019 models, are also in that. So it makes you wonder, does Apple even care anymore? Yeah, Apple's probably not very confident. I mean, maybe new materials will help a little bit, but yeah. yeah. They need a new keyboard. At this point, I, I think they've just bitten the bullet and just... Anything they can do to keep people buying it. So I have to say, my favorite keyboard to type on, like, ever of all time, is the Magic Keyboard 2. Right. It uses the scissor switch, but it's way smaller than any other scissor switch Apple's made. So it's almost like it's one of the new Butterfly keyboards, except they're a little bit taller and they travel a little more. Yeah. But they're amazing. They're really, they're still really slim, but maybe double the, the, the press height of a MacBook Pro. Right. And why can't they use that? It's so nice. But the computer would be a millimeter thicker. Oh, no. Oh, no. Can't handle that. Yeah. Uh, so I think last time we talked about the rumored 16-inch um, MacBook Pro. Do you think having this refresh uh, pretty much just seals the deal and not getting that anytime soon? I think that could still come around. But it might be like that might be next year's MacBook Pro. Maybe it leaked really early in the life cycle of it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of skeptical that it's coming anytime soon now. I'm kind of thinking, yeah, next year. So speaking of Apple things coming, maybe maybe not next year, but this year. WWDC is coming up uh, in a week from now. Yes, sure enough. Lots of things have been rumored to exist what have you guys heard truly indeed uh you know i actually haven't heard pretty much anything this time because i've been so busy and out of the loop uh i don't know if i know anything about this i am going to um go and look at the so every time they make a a wwdc for every year they they have a website and they have invites that go out and the invites usually have some kind of graphics on them and this time it's an alien with its head exploding (laughs) <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, aliens are coming to iOS 13. Yeah, so it's it. I, I, all I can say is that it's gonna be out of this world. Oh, there we go. <laughs> um, uh. The big things I've heard are probably you know marzipan is the big thing, right? Coming to macOS, and with that, there are gonna probably be some changes to iOS that bring some macOS features to iOS, and vice versa. You know, iOS features to macOS. Um, I think with that is going to bring a dark theme to iOS because the Mac has it. And so for these iOS apps that are ported to the Mac through Marzipan, and then if they need to look good on a dark theme, like my website, they need to support dark theme. So I think that's coming. Um, lots of Marzipan stuff, I'm sure. 
Steve Trouton-Smith has been doing a lot of work about Marzipanify, his tool he made last summer to convert a uh, simulator build to a Marzipan app. Yeah, cool new stuff. So what what are what are, like we have to I have three question marks here that we need to fill in. We need to make three predictions of things that we're going to get. Okay, you f- you fill in the first one, I'll fill in the second one. All right. Uh so AR kit with rear facing lasers. Absolutely. Okay, tell so, me more. Uh Apple bought the original company that makes the uh the the first iteration of the Microsoft Connect. Um, which is widely regarded to be probably the the best, uh, especially for like uh, hackability purposes. So like a lot of folks in the creative tech space use the original Connect in like interactive installations and depth sensing and stuff. The fun part is that exact same hardware made its way into the iPhone 10 and 10s uh, and 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 tennis Max. Um, and the interesting thing about it is that at this point. Uh, that's mostly been used for the Animoji feature. But the thing that we actually, uh, the, the thing that'll actually bring the most value, especially to ARKit for this, is having those same that same technology on the rear-facing camera. Um, and Apple's kind of teased this a little bit um, with integrating what they call like 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 stereoscopic like cameras, like that support for stereoscopic stuff in ARKit. Um, that's been kind of an overarching rumor in the kind of AR community that Apple's going to support this stuff. There's some third-party things that do it too, but I think what we're going to see is at WWDC is the groundwork being laid for an iPhone with a rear-facing kind of Kinect-like apparatus that is going to enhance the way you're able to track depth and do like uh, HoloLens-style occlusion things. So like you can have 3D objects that look like they're behind things or in front of things. And that's going to be the biggest, in my estimation, the biggest thing to hit AR kit since like vertical plane detection. Cool. So there you go. There, you know, there there are rumors of the iPhone having four camera modules on the back next year, or I guess later this year. Jeez. I mean, what 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 if what if one of those isn't actually a camera module? It's actually a laser. Yeah, exactly. Why not just put a laser pew, pew, pew. on it? Uh, I have a uh, much more uh, less useful speculation. Like Brandon's speculation is actually useful and important and could, you know, be innovative. Mine is just like low-level fruit that we need to pick, and that is putting apps anywhere on any of the home screens. None of this nonsense sorting nonsense. Well, this might be related to the rumor a year ago that the iPad would have a redesigned home screen. And then that never came. And I think that was around the time when we got the leak that Apple was uh, promoting stability and, you know, uh, speed improvements over new features. So that might, I could see that coming. I like it, ha- it. it has to be here. Otherwise, I can't buy it. So yeah, get get to it, Apple. I would like to see a cool, uh, you know, in a dark environment, kind of like the Google Pixel phones have. Um, when you take a photo in a really dark place, it lightens it up with oh, crazy right. machine learning things. Yes, Night think, Sight. Night Sight, that's what it is. Thank you. I think Apple could bring that to iOS. Now, that would probably be locked to a hardware release because they'd be ridiculous not to do that. But, yeah, I'd yeah. like to see that coming. 
Make, it, it, all the phones have that at this point. Samsung is getting a software update to the S10 line that will enable that, and the P30 from Huawei, which no longer exists as a company as far as I know, um, they also have that capability. Yeah. My more official thing is dark mode is coming. It's iOS. Yeah. Nice. Um, Perfect. We can briefly go through this Bloomberg thing if we want to just like list off a bunch of changes, at least okay. the bigger ones. Let's do it. Um, you think see. you're getting a new watch this year? Me, like me personally? No, no, no. Like you, you, the industry, or uh, yeah, probably. Okay. I mean, they've, they've released a new one every year, other than um, so the first one came out in May of 2015, and then when did the series one and two come out? Was that I think that was a year and a half later? Yeah, like late 2016, early 2017, something like that. Yeah, and then they released the series three in the fall of 20. Uh, 17? Yeah, 17. And then the Series 4 is fall of 2018. So I bet another one this fall. Yeah, the thing that's always tricky with WWDC is that there's not, it's not really a hardware event, unless that hardware is like a Mac Pro or a MacBook Pro. But we might see the software underpinnings for it. I'm hoping we'll see a Mac Pro teaser, but I don't know. Um, okay, so Bloomberg is saying that we'll see for the second year in a row a speed up for devices and reduced bugs. Uh, dark mode, um, new keyboard option to allow swiping on the keyboard. So like those third-party swipe apps, but this will be first-party. Um, improve or a revamped health app um, that improves like homepage metrics and bringing up stuff that you want to see more often. Um, hearing health, maybe. Um, a like screen sharing feature similar to Duet Display and Luna Display. So you can use your iPad as a second screen for a Mac. Uh, update a reminders app. Um, a new feature in screen time for parental controls um, that allow um, like people to not contact other people at certain times of the day. Um, refreshed Apple Books app. Um, iMess- uh, iMessage might get some WhatsApp-like enhancements for, like, I don't know, profile pictures or something like that. Uh, updated maps that might show frequent locations or something like that. Um, merging of Find My Friends and Find My iPhone. Um, updated mail app for muting, um, system-wide sleep mode that might be tied in with the bedtime tab in the clock app, uh, upgraded home app, multi-users for HomePod maybe, more organized share sheet, uh, download manager, that would be surprising to me, that might just be like a location in the files app and some enhancements there. Um, maybe some interface changes to multitasking, iPad home screen, or probably iOS too, I hope. Um, maybe opening up an app multiple instances so you can, you know, work on two documents at once, for example. I would, I would love to be able to have two slacks open on my phone. One for work and one for me. Yeah, that would be interesting. Um, for the Mac, it's, you know, marzipan 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 uh new music app which i've heard a little bit about that it was it would basically be the music parts of itunes in its own app so probably further splitting out itunes i could almost see it as they have legacy itunes in the applications utilities folder and they have the new music itunes in the applications folder um i saw that uh i got a software update for like i 
iOS or iPod hardware support. So I think they're already kind of splitting apart the hardware support in iTunes from the, you know, user interface and the app itself. Um, what I, another thing for the Mac, which I can only assume is messages app would be marzipanified, um, that would include things like effects and stickers because that's all written for iOS. Um, watch OS, what are we going to get an app store directly to the watch? Maybe, um, voice memos on the watch, um, animoji and memoji stickers, uh, Apple books app for listening to audiobooks and a calculator app. Um, there might be a, um, two new apps for health related, one called doze for pills and one called cycles for menstrual cycles. Um, a new watch face called complications um, and other new watch faces like a gradient one or some extra large ones, solar analog infograph subdial. Yeah. That's, that's the Bloomberg article. Yeah. I think some of that might just be speculation. I don't know if we're going to get all of that. So yeah. uh, you did mention one important thing that we should mention. What do we think about that? Um, Mac pro. Uh, this year, that's what Apple said two years ago, right? So, so do we think they're gonna do do like the um, HomePod kind of thing where they like show it now and give it to you later? I I think I mean yeah I think it's good to be to give the industry some leads on what it's gonna be so they can plan for it. I mean Maybe. they don't have to really plan for much. I mean presumably what you do is you go to Apple dot com slash Mac Pro and you hit the buy button, you put your credit card in, and then you get one in two to three days. True. Um, yeah, I don't know. It depends how excited they are and how much stuff they have to talk about. I think just software improvements alone would be enough for WWDC. So it's really interesting because a few weeks ago, uh, you know, Google I.O. came around and there were some improvements. Not not like huge improvements or anything, but there were some improvements to like Android Studio and, uh, you know, Colin support for things. And, um, you know, of course, Flutter is a big thing right now, although it's from it's from google so who knows if it's gonna last right uh and then right before that there was build where they showed tons of new developer oriented changes for windows and uh development in the future um it kind of seems like apple hasn't done a big developer thing like you know changing the os features and you know adding capability that's that's what you do but where what where where has the big like swift like progress been uh and uh i feel like it's been a few years since i've heard about those big changes uh swift 5 got abi stability so that's good um i think ios 12.3 maybe 12.2 shipped with the swift runtime at an operating system level versus being bundled bundled into each application so that's progress it's it's there's more more mature there's more to do of course. It's still a pretty new language. No, but I don't mean just with Swift, but I mean just with all of Apple's developer experience. Uh, there's just there's still more more they sh- can do and should do, uh, especially when uh, a lot of attention is being given to others in that regard. Yeah. Cool. Uh, do you think it's that time, Brian? New Twitter followees. Hey, Brandon, take us away. So I joined the 21st century 
and uh, finally followed the creator of uh, a number of important frameworks like Lodash and Backbone, uh, whose name is oh, Jason cool. Jason Ash Kennis. Um, and he used to work for the New York Times with uh, Mike Bostock and some other folks. And, uh, and now he's working on Observable, which is uh, Mike Bostock's company. The New York Times has put up so much cool stuff. It's insane. I saw a tweet, like, someone asking... How does an environment like the New York Times encourage such number of cool projects? Yeah. Um, fear fear of extinction? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think I saw a thread about how basically the thing is they, they like, developers work with editorial and not necessary and aren't treated as, like, tech support, right? <laughs> and yeah. I think that's probably the critical, the critical thing. Yeah, that, that would do it. I'd love to tr- talk with a uh, friend of the show, Max Marti, uh, about his uh, his feelings on on this on this stuff. I know he does some journalism stuff. Yes, he uh, he recently started working at a new company, uh, but he was at uh, one of our local newspapers for many years. Oh wow, this is very this is very recent. I did not know this. In fact, I was yeah. So wow, right on. Um, cool. So that's 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 fun stuff. Uh, I also followed. Um, at uh, I'm probably gonna mess this up, but Shubi S H U B I E on Twitter, who is a software engineer on the Google Chrome team, who has lots of awesome uh, threads and context around what's going on with uh, Chrome as a platform and stuff like that. Whenever somebody joins the Chrome team, it's always good to see uh, their takes on stuff because Chrome is one of those things that drives the web forward. And last but not least, there is uh, at ConfBuddy, which is a app uh, that uh, allows you to kind of find folks who are uh, who you know they might be first time conference attendees, or this might be their first conference ever, or they just might want to uh, meet up with folks at conferences and and not be like traveling with anybody else, or um, just trying to find folks to hang out with and. Uh, it's a it's a really cool platform, and I've I've often thought about building something not unlike this. So that's kind of a cool thing that somebody else has already done it, and we can just be like, hey, that's cool, and uh, use it. But uh, those are my Twitter followers so far. How about you, Brian? I followed several people as I've been ramping up my Twitter follows, which is terrible. Ugh, my life. No, it's great. Give into the darkness. Yeah, take away from my time. Um, okay, first of all, I followed Southwest LRT, which is the Twitter account for our new uh, light rail transit line that's being put in Ooh. going from downtown Minneapolis to Eden Prairie. Um, so I followed it about the same time that they closed a much loved bike path here for three years. So the Cedar trail, the Cedar Lake trail and part of the Kenilworth trail. So yeah, I followed it for cool photos of construction and for progress. They tweet out a weekly update every Friday, I believe. And so I read those links. Cool. Um, gotta love our public transit. Uh, next, I followed um, Kate, who goes by at uh, Sbin London. Um, I followed a few people who were speakers and active on Twitter from the React Girls Conf. Um, I saw a lot of talk there, and I need to watch a bunch of those talks. Um, add to the list of cool things to spend a lot of time on. Um, yeah, so she's a London-based front-end React person. There's a there's a tweet on her page um, that's a, a chart of number of windows. 
<laughs> it's pretty funny. Uh, it's a good one. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. For the Windows operating system. Uh huh. Windows three point one ninety five ninety eight two thousand seven eight point one ten. That's good. Yep. Um, and then finally, um, following the Twitter handle is Soylent Queen, and the 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 name is Nintendo DS Store, <laughs> as in DS underscore store, like the Finder layout file. Anyway, um. I don't remember who retweeted her stuff, but more good. Um, I don't even remember. I followed too many people to remember who, what everyone's interests are. Gosh, uh, I'm I'm terrible at this se- at this segment. Anyway, just give her a follow. It's good. That's all right. Over time, you you will learn to join the ranks of those of us who follow almost five thousand people, and it will be great. If you, if you miss I bet by the end of the year, you will actually follow 5,000. You're at 4,200 something now, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Just get, give it one more conference and I'll, I'll be at five, 5k. <laughs> nice. Okay. I believe it is my turn and I actually did follow people. It is, oh man, following people's hard. Uh, so I followed, uh, did you know, like we went to open source North, but before that we even went to serverless MN. We didn't talk about serverless MN. Oh, how did we forget? Right. Um, but, uh, so I followed AJ and he is from serverless and that's very confusing because what is serverless? It's a description of a type of technology, but it's also a framework and he is from the framework. He is the also a previous lead engineer from Sport Engine, and so I, I met him at Serverless MN, and he was uh, really fun to talk to, and it was pretty cool. And I saw him give a talk the next day at Node MN at Sports <laughs> Engine. Yeah. I, I see that here in the in the list, and that's that's pretty funny. And he retweeted some of my tweets, uh, specifically the SQL is the ultimate domain specific language, and then it's a dollar bill with uh, deal with it glasses. Uh, and then I also followed uh, Adam Waythan, and he makes Tailwind CSS, which I've been tinkering with between um, uh, Style Component and, and Tailwind for just redesigning things in a different way and not necessarily using a pre-constructed CSS framework. So it's kind of an interesting idea. Nice. Uh, following people, it's, it's not easy. You did it this this month, Ryan. Yeah, one, that's all you get for a whole another 60 days. All right. Well, uh, what's coming up here in the next little while? I know um, Brandon and I will be recording a Nexus special on WWDC. Yes, I will um, be traveling while uh, WWDC is going on. I'll attempt at watching some of the coverage, but I probably won't be participating in it directly, which is okay. Nice. Um, I don't know when the next podcast will be out. Um, I'm doing the MS150 in mid-June. I should know the 8th and the 9th. So that's a big um, bike weekend going from Duluth to the Twin Cities, 150 miles over two days. Uh, and then like not even a week later, I'm going to Europe for a vacation for two weeks. So, nice. so I'll see you on like July 5th. <laughs> I will be home. I get back on the 28th. So. So July fifth, sure, yeah, July fifth. Let's do Perfect. it. Perfect, yeah. That sounds like what's going to happen. Perfect. Uh, from from May to July, that's <laughs> that's good. That's perfect for us. 
So, uh, Brandon, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me just about anywhere, but particularly on Twitter, where my username is Brandon underscore MN, uh, and where I talk about things like people from high school adding me on LinkedIn, uh, and being like, I don't know, morticians and stuff, and we haven't spoken in like five, six, seven, ten years, uh, and why that entertains me. Uh, That's a good tweet. Thank you, thank you. I love. I used to use that SNL GIF. Uh, the the not gonna do it. That one. It's so good. So perfect. So prime. Uh, otherwise, you'll find me uh, hanging out at coffee shops in Northeast or Uptown Minneapolis, uh, where I'll be drinking uh, nitro cold brew uh, or regular cold brew. I'm not picky, uh, and probably working on React Native, Flutter, or any of the various other random things that I am working on now about how about you brian um you can find me on twitter at brian mitch l or my website brianm.me or now keybase which is keybase.io slash brian mitch l finally went and jumped on that train yes um yeah you can find me hanging around in uptown or working in eden prairie or traveling or biking that's what's coming up with me what about you ryan well, you can find me just about everywhere, but especially on Twitter at RyanMart, and of course on RyanRampersed.com, where I uh, will l- have a website that looks identical but be new. Hey. Wonderful. Oh my goodness, I almost mm-hmm. forgot to mention, we have a JavaScript MN event coming up next week, Wednesday, so in five days as we as we record today. Not five days, three days. Nice. Not three days, four Perfect. days. Something like that. And it will be very great, and I should tweet about it at some point. And by the time I edit this, it'll probably be one or two days away. Oh my goodness. Well, you should go and RSVP time. at meetup.com slash JavaScript MN. Well, um, you can find uh, the show notes for this episode at thenexus.tv slash PK49. Um, you can also chat about this episode on our subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash thenexustv, or on Twitter, of course, too. Uh, we can also support us on Patreon, which is patreon.com slash the Nexus TV. Uh, yeah. That's our show. I think that that's our show. Okay, I, I hope stuff. it was, I hope it was really good and extra long this time because you won't hear from us until July. Uh, we could probably do late June. Nope. Maybe. July. It'll only be like five or six weeks. It's not that bad. Time. Have a good one. Have a good one. Have a good one. The Nexus. The Nexus. The Nexus TV. Podcasts from from the the Technological technological convergence. Convergence.